Mic check, one, two, one, two. Yo, what's up, man? Is this thing on? <laughs> We're the Queued Up Podcast on Podcast, your weekly source for podcast news, tips, and tricks. From production to promotion and everything in between. I'm John Luckenball. And I'm Matthew Stevens. Two podcast experts ready to help you every Wednesday. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Queued Up Podcast on Podcasting. We've got a really special show in store for you guys today. As always, I'm Matthew Stevens, and I'm joined by the owner of Queued Up Audio and my co-host, John Luckenball. John, how you doing? What's up, Matt? I am good. I'm really excited for today's episode, man. Oh, yeah. Yeah. We got some treats. You know, we've already had a couple episodes where we talk about the narrative or storytelling podcasts, where we've looked at the creation process and building a narrative through stages or elements. But I think we kind of put the cart before the horse. So today, I'm kind of excited because we get a chance to discuss the importance of storytelling and why your podcast should actually provide one. Absolutely. And in addition to that, we're going to be talking about the Tribeca Film Festival, now dealing with podcasts, the Pulitzer, uh, also digging into some podcasts and audio, Amazon buying the Smartless podcast. First, let's start off with Facebook podcasts. We had talked about that uh, in previous episodes. Not a lot of information is out there about it as Facebook kind of starts to slowly incorporate podcasts in. Facebook launched their new podcast platform on June 21st. However, none of those podcasts they partnered with have appeared as full episodes on Facebook yet. You can get little clips. uh, You can get little audiograms just like you could before. But as of right now, I can't find them. Other people can't find them. They don't seem to exist on Facebook. John, what do you make of this? Good thing they're getting this out to get all the kinks out with uh, with just <laughs> a handful of podcasts. Now, the podcasts do have some promotions on Facebook, and they do link them to, you know, like Apple, Google, SoundCloud, Patreon pages, things like that. There's some video clips. There's some announcements of it. But like you said, there's not full episodes that you can actually listen to. Yeah, and to give everyone just a quick recap, just in case you didn't listen to a previous episode, if that's the case, you know, go back, listen listen to that episode. Facebook basically partnered up with Spotify so that way you can listen to podcasts or watch podcasts directly on your Facebook wall. So as you're kind of scrolling through, checking in on Nana, you can go ahead and listen to your favorite podcasts. They only launched with a handful of them, I believe four as of right now, and they are kind of the more star-studded shows, the ones that are obviously going to draw people in initially. But again, you can't see them as of right now. Again, I haven't been able to find them. So Facebook hasn't talked anything about it, but it could be that they ran into a kink with everything, that it just isn't working quite as they expected, or this is a part of that slow ramp up period that, that they've kind of mentioned as they get everything and set in place and figure out exactly the best way to do things. We'll find out over the next few weeks, but I do find it interesting that Facebook announced this, said that, hey, we're starting this thing at the end of June. It is early July at the time we're recording this. Let's peel back that curtain. And you can't see it yet. So a lot of tech in in podcasting right now is not going as planned or as expected as of right now. Speaking about tech and podcasting, the retail giant Amazon paid up to $80 million for the Smartless podcast. Now, that podcast is hosted by Will Arnett, Jason Bateman, and Sean Hayes. 
all of them famous movie stars and television stars. Pretty obvious that they, they wanted to go ahead and get those guys involved when you're paying about $20 million a year for that. Now, John, I know it comes with a little bit of a caveat there. there there's a little something that they're getting for that $80 million. What is Amazon actually buying? A whole one week of exclusivity, which where's our deal, Matt? That's what I was going to say. Amazon, if you're listening, guys, $20 million, I will give you exclusive rights to everything. Yeah, for one week. Whatever exclusivity you want. Yeah, not, not even a week. I'll give you I'll give you two. And then after that, they become, again, platform agnostic, right? So then, then you can find them on all the platforms. Or is it just, is it 80 million for the names, the hosts? Yeah, it's, it's interesting. I know this is a topic that has been broached by a lot of uh, podcast leaders in this industry. I think it's important to look at the deal from two perspectives. One is a lot of podcasts are getting bought up right now. Uh, I think just shortly before the Smartless podcast was officially announced as being bought, Spotify handed uh, Alexandra Cooper and the Call Her Daddy podcast about $20 million a year. But that's exclusive. That's solely through them. Joe Rogan, I think, is right around the $20 million a year mark. So if you're a celebrity, $20 million seems to be it when you're talking about contracts. Now, the other side of this, and I think this is the important thing, and this is something that I don't see podcast leaders talking about, is everything that I've seen with this deal mentions that Amazon gets to continue to partner with the Smartless team on yes. future projects. So yes. while it's one week of exclusivity, my guess is they just bought Wondery. They just bought Art19. They're in the process of building up their own studio pretty clearly. Makes sense if they basically are paying $80 million to say, look, you guys are going to develop shows for us. That's what's going to happen. We get to turn them down. We get to write a first refusal. But you're going to, the $80 million is you are now our team. That could be um, a good investment. Man. That makes far more sense than paying for a one-week exclusivity license. That, that Again, I know a lot of people are maybe ignoring that aspect, but Amazon pretty clearly seems to be going the way of Spotify in, in the sense that they want to build up their own production. They want to build up their own shows. Makes a lot of sense for them. Of course, then you're able to have exclusives. You're able to push people to Amazon Music, which no one's using right now. Again, makes sense. You're throwing in that money when you're Jeff Bezos and you're worth like billions, hundreds of billions of dollars, 80 millions, probably not anything you're all that concerned about. I don't know. I've never been a billionaire. I don't think you get to a billionaire without caring about $80 million, but I don't think it's as, yes, (laughs) exactly. One of these days, one of these days, John, we're going to, we're going to sell a show to Amazon for a hundred billion dollars. Okay. All right. Um, And they'll get a month of exclusivity. I think I know one. I think I do too. And I, I, we'll, we'll, we'll announce something soon enough, but uh, wink, wink, hint, hint. There's some stuff coming on the horizon for us. Again, I don't think it's necessarily the biggest deal that everyone's making it out to be. I think there's more behind the scenes of that deal. And they certainly have not spoken very transparently about what is going into that deal. So again, over the next few months, I'm sure more details will leak and we'll see a little bit more. But my guess is it's more about the partnership to produce other shows than it is anything else. Another big topic that we need to talk about is podcasts are getting more recognition. Let's start off with the Pulitzer. It is the highest prize in journalism. It is the thing that, uh, you know, I think most journalists covet when you get into this industry is to be able to break a, a story that is worthy of a Pulitzer, at least get you in the nomination for it. NPR reporters Lisa Hagen, Chris Haxel, and Graham Smith and Robert Little won a Pulitzer Prize for audio reporting for their work on the podcast No Compromises, which talks about gun rights activists 
and the widening gap between American conservatives on that issue. A pretty profound topic in this day and age. Uh, hats off to the NPR people over there for getting that done. But I mean, John, the Pulitzer came in here. That's that's huge. Again, man. That's huge. Yeah. We saw that in our previous episode, Matt, where we looked at why people are actually listening to podcasts. And some of the main reasons were for information and news, right? So obviously that would kind of line up with with this. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it makes sense that, again, NPR is the one that that did this and, and they're super heavy into that style of uh, storytelling and, and journalism. You know, we've talked about this a handful of times, John, as, as more awards start to come around and, and that type of stuff happens with podcasting. It just goes to show that this medium is becoming more and more important, that it is getting more and more recognition. And that in turn, again, we're just at the very beginnings of this, but we're starting to see some pretty prestigious things happen within podcasting that will hopefully push it more to the forefront. And we'll see, again, just more interesting things happen. So pretty cool. If you're out there, you're doing a journalism project, maybe turn it into a podcast. Maybe you can earn yourself a Pulitzer. In addition to the Pulitzer, John, other big news, and I think we've talked about this in a previous episode, but let's dive into it a little bit further. Tribeca Film Festival, just now known as the Tribeca Festival, mainly because it doesn't just cover film anymore. John, they have podcasts now. They have podcasts. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's awesome. First year for it. They featured 12 official podcast selections across fiction and narrative nonfiction categories. Now, the manager of audio storytelling at Tribeca, Leah Sarbib, I'm probably butchering that name. I apologize, said, the thing everyone's talking about these days is discoverability, and that's certainly important with podcasting. It's really hard for podcasts to find their audience. So we want to do for podcasts what we try to do for independent films and help them find their audience and help create opportunities for independent creators. I'm not super big into the film industry myself, but right. I've known several people that have gone to Sundance or Cannes or various yeah. other film festivals, and that's where they're getting their films bought by production yes. companies or distribution companies that are able to put them out there. So Tribeca featuring these things again, just like the Pulitzer, is another sign that podcasting is starting to become bigger. And more importantly, it's not just the iHearts. It's not just the Spotify's or now Amazon's. Independents are able to start being able to do really cool things and get featured in a way that is uh, hopefully going to, again, take this medium to the next level. And we'll start to see some really, really cool projects come out of this Tribeca Film Festival and out of the Pulitzer and out of the all, all the other award ceremonies that we're starting to see happen. That's what I was going to say. I, I wonder how soon it's going to be until Sundance and Cannes and other film festivals like that start to also showcase podcasts. And I think it makes complete sense. I mean, obviously, they're selling for $80 million. So it, <laughs> <laughs> yes. if you're these film festivals, it, it, again, it makes complete sense to have maybe a small selection. You know, you don't need to have a thousand of them out there, but to maybe start getting some of these independent podcasts that are doing some really cool things narratively to uh, give them a little bit of exposure and more importantly, to put yourself at the beginning of that uh, a transition. Again, we've talked about this a lot. Television is starting to fade off. We're starting to get more into streaming. We're starting to get more into even film starting to go into streaming. Audio is going to be the next big wave in my yeah, opinion. Absolutely. So Matt, these 12 podcast selections that, that Tribeca brought in, what do you think they all have in common? Well, John, <laughs> uh, this is the most obvious segue in the history of segues. <laughs> you know, I'm going to take it directly from Leah and say it's all about audio storytelling here. So we have a really special guest. She's been on the show before. You know her. You love her. 
Isabel Manjo, head of scripting and writing here at Queued Up. How you doing, Isabel? I'm good. Thank you guys for having me. Thanks for coming on. And obviously, again, let's do this segue. It's it's all about storytelling. If you're creating a good story, you have a chance to sell your podcast. You have a chance to be discovered a little bit easier. We'll get into all that stuff here in a minute. But Izzy, tell us a little bit about the importance of storytelling, at least your history of storytelling when it comes to audio. What I think is really interesting is, and this is what Tribeca is kind of getting at, is that audio podcasting, audio storytelling, it feels like this new trending, growing market. And it is. It's in many ways, it's extremely 21st century because of smartphones and streaming and just the technological aspects of, you know, making it more accessible and all that. But in a way, it's sort of one of the oldest forms of storytelling to an extent. I think that um, we've talked about this before, you know, humans have always been drawn to telling stories from caveman times, caveman drawings. But what was the next jump after drawings was oral storytelling, the oral tradition, epic poems, you know, Homer's Odyssey, all of these civilization around the world from the beginning of time has been drawn to telling stories and telling each other stories. And they had specific people in the society who would train to be a storyteller, to be a poet, to be a lyrical entertainer, all of these societies are drawn to it. And I think that podcasts are sort of a 21st century repackaged version of that to an extent. Um, We're basically just through using our modern technology, recording the human voice to tell a story and then distributing it to millions of people. So no longer is it like around the campfire, you can tell a great story to someone and have the same intimacy as being around a campfire and everyone all over the world can listen to it. So I think it's really exciting. Now, Izzy, so you have some personal connection to audio storytelling and you kind of see that in podcasting. Can you share that? Yeah, of course. So the first time that I sort of realized how powerful audio storytelling can be was actually when I was in college and I had an assignment where I needed to interview somebody like over the age of 65, 70, I think it was, and ask them about their experience with television. It was for a a class centering on the history of American television. It was a great class, but I went and I wanted to speak to my grandfather. My grandfather and I are really close. So I had a list of questions. I asked him about his television experience, all these things like that. And I sort of threw in there last minute asking him about radio because he was born in the 30s and he listened to the radio growing up and his whole demeanor changed. He was so much happier. Like he was so much more animated. He loved talking about his favorite radio shows. He would talk about his favorite radio dramas and like what kind of uh, experiences and shows he would just like absorb, sit in front of the radio for hours as a child and just absorb all these stories. It really struck me how personally connected he felt to audio versus visual. And it just really struck me. And that sort of led me down into this rabbit hole of (laughs) being interested in podcasts. And now here I am. That's so awesome. A little bit of background on, on radio dramas. They were most popular from 1930s to 1960s when radio was used not only for news, but entertainment like your grandfather said. So radio gave families a chance to gather to listen to the shows together. 
And a cool fact is these radio serials had advertising sponsors. And usually they were by laundry and dish detergent companies. This is how the term soap opera was originated. One of the most notable audio dramas was the 1938 production of War of the Worlds, narrated by Orson Welles. This was so compellingly told by Welles that supposedly the public believed that an alien invasion was actually happening. So this is kind of a testament to the power of audio storytelling. I think most people might uh, have a better understanding of radio dramas and, and radio stories if you think back to the, the classic Christmas movie, A Christmas Story, where Ralphie is using his decoder in order to figure it out, and it turns out it's just Ovaltine. But that, that is a great segue where you know it got, it got people interested in order to, to do things, and then, of course, you have that sponsorship ability. Not much has changed from then to now in terms of how advertising happens. There were certain radio dramas that were so successful that when television started moving into homes more, Frequently, a lot of the sponsors then invested in a television series of the radio dramas. They didn't even change a single word. They would just take the radio drama, find actors, and they would uh, kind of convert it to television just because they already had a built-in audience. And some of the radio dramas went on for many seasons. I know in the UK, there are actually a couple, I think there's two radio dramas that have been going on since just after World War II. It has 60, 70 years of history, which is just crazy to me. Now, obviously, you know, we just heard uh, that radio dramas, these these audio dramas are super old. There's certainly nothing new. But, I mean, Izzy, maybe you can explain this. John, I'm sure you can as well. Why is storytelling and podcasting just so important? It's a completely immersive experience since it's all auditory. Your imagination has to play a huge factor into how much the story affects you. There aren't visual cues like TV or video, so you have to come up with what you should be seeing all on your own. I think that's where the story kind of brings a topic to life. It's a little bit like reading, how people have such intense connections to reading and to specific books because you are experiencing the story through only one sense. So with podcasting, it forces you to engage with the content more. And when you engage with the content more, you remember it more. Stories and storytelling and podcasting is extremely important because I think it has people engage with your content and your information. And when they engage with it, they build more connections and they're more likely to come back for more. It's just more captivating overall, I think. It is. Like you said, Izzy, so stories can provide education, inspiration, and connection. But a story told privately, like a podcast, builds intimacy and trust. For example, if your business is about organizational and personal transformation methods, you could highlight ideas, learnings, and stories of clients and notable leaders during the pandemic crisis, right? Or let's say you have a hospitality news and analysis show, sharing a story about your experience as a restaurateur or something you have experience with as an executive chef gives you more power in the podcast episode. Now, it's not just about tipping wages or the chicken sandwich wards. It's about what you've learned, and it allows the audience to, I guess, humanize and empathize with, with the topic. I couldn't agree more. People like people. People like to hear about other people. Statistics can be sobering, and I think they're necessary. And I think facts and statistics are a good backbone to a story. 
but ultimately you need a person, you need characters for your audience to relate to. So, and that can be yourself, that can be others, that can be, you know, your little anecdotal experiences. But ultimately at the end of the day, people connect to people. You know, one of the things about storytelling that is so compelling is that a good story has some tension. It's not just an easy road from beginning to end. There is some uh, force back that creates a climax there. And I think it's also important that, you know, you, you mentioned facts, you mentioned the background of that stuff. Tension in a story actually does something to our brain. Pretty wonderful. It creates and releases the hormone and neurotransmitter oxytocin, uh, which is both kind of your happy chemical and also a, an empathy chemical, as researchers have found, where as you're reading a story, or in this case, listening to a story, you're able to empathize with those characters. You're able to put yourself in their shoes. So then it's not the character's battle. It's not the character's plight. It's your plight. So then you're interested to see how you are going to overcome this issue, this hurdle. And it just makes it so that way you have to keep turning the pages. Or in this case, you listen to the next episodes and the next episode and the next episode. The one thing I'd like to add to that, Matt, it's not always narrative either. It could be sounds. So the use of sound effects, atmospheric sounds, music beds can also give your listener a sense of space. If you remember a couple episodes ago when we discussed Squadcast's new spatial audio feature. So the use of these sounds in an audio story, it increases the level of mental imagery and also causes listeners to pay more attention. Yeah, it's interesting. Going back to the Tribeca Festival, one of these shows that they have, the podcast they have on there, actually plays around with the, the 3D audio aspect in, in order to create a, a soundscape, as it were, in order to, to create some of that tension. That is a great point, John. That doesn't just have to be literal tension in, in the sense of, of words and, and creating that type of thing. You can create tension through sound effects and through just an overall feeling. Uh, that's something that I think movies and television do so well. That's where you get to go ahead and play with it as a podcaster. I think that tension can come in many forms as well. Sometimes we think of tension as like the most obvious, you know, two people during a fight, somebody struggling in a storm. But tension can also appear in really on a very micro level. And that is when it's also extremely effective as well. And we see it in podcasts. We see it in movies. You can have tension down to the sentence level, and that is what gives your podcast pacing. Creating tension like on a sentence level, we don't have to go so much into the technical, but it can even be done through ways that are not super challenging. Like, for example, if you have contradictory information beside each other, then it causes a lot of tension. Like, for example, just the most obvious thing I can think of, the opening line of that Dickens novel, Tale of Two Cities. It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. It's just a line we all know. Okay, that's immediate tension because how can something be the best and the worst of times? And this sort of like gets into the idea of like, what does tension do for the audience? Tension poses questions and the audience want those questions answered. And that is what kind of gives pace to your story through tension. The thing I remember about the Tale of Two Cities is I had to learn that entire first passage, that that whole <laughs> intro. I had to recite that in front of my class. Oh, do you remember it? No, <laughs> yeah, it was the best of times. It was the worst of times. That's all I remember now. But but I guess that that kind of shows you the importance of how to start a story, right? How to draw people into a story. How important is the 
beginning of a story. It's the most important part of the story to an extent. Going back to the idea of questions, something if you're looking for how to begin your story, how to start your story, while your story can raise questions along the way, there should always be one dominant question that your story is trying to answer. So in true crime, who killed this person? That's the dominant question. Even uh, no compromises, the conversations on like gun control. How do we solve this problem? How do we, you know, how do we prevent children from being killed? You have an overall general question that your story is struggling to answer. And by struggling, I don't mean you're not answering it per se. You're attacking the question at all angles and you're really grappling with it. And that I think is before you even sit down to write your podcast, which I highly, highly suggest if you're doing some sort of outline, (laughs) even if you're not doing narrative, do some sort of outline. When you go to kind of sketch out your podcast, you have to ask yourself, what is the question that I'm asking? Like, what is the question I'm trying to answer? Uh, What is the question I'm posing? And once you get past sponsorships, if you have sponsorships, the first 30 seconds to 60 seconds, extremely important. You want to make sure that your audience understands the question that you're trying to answer. And I think it's also important that, you know, we talk about this from a podcast perspective and from the the actual podcast, but don't forget, I mean, do this in your show notes. Do That's exactly what you want to do. A question, a good question, that tension brings people in. They want to know the answer. They want to figure that out. If you play around and, and you you wax philosophically for the first minute or two or the first sentence or two in, in the case of your show notes, it's just not all that compelling. It's 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 not all that interesting. People aren't uh, typically going to read further and they're not going to go ahead and listen further. So from a discoverability standpoint, everything could be great. You could have a great show, but if you don't have a great intro uh, where you build that tension, where you ask that question, where you you provide that uh, backbone of the story, people aren't going to continue going on any further and anything else that you're going to do is going to fail pretty miserably. So certainly important to set up your show, to set up your show notes, to set up all of that stuff with a really, really good intro. All right. So, so we've started the intro. We've posed that question. What comes next is, I mean, what's, what's next in your process? I cannot emphasize enough the importance of outlining. I think that you need to figure out what your story structure, your podcast structure is going to be. Once you've sort of posed this question that will lead audiences to want to find out what the answer is. And sorry, I just want to take a pause for a second and say that your podcast doesn't have to be something like true crime to be able to write a story into it. I think that you can write a story into every single topic, in all honesty. I really do. Business, you know, science, all these things. It could even be news. I mean, if you did something like starting with like the roaring of a roller coaster, followed by kids screaming with excitement, and then the host says, it's a beautiful day at the sweetest place on earth. And then they go into the story. That's a great example because you can say it's, it's a great day in the most beautiful place on earth and something is about to go horribly wrong. You know, or you know, this, is, <laughs> this great day is about to totally devolve for four people. And the interesting thing is when you set up a great hook like that, that is simultaneously like vague enough that there's so many possibilities, but you're sort of hinting at the direction in which you're going, you can pull back and that's when you can start to add in background information and context because you can ride that wave of the interest that you've peaked in the beginning. 
So after you, you need a great hook, uh, you need to pique that interest. And when you've done a good job doing that, then your audience will stick through a minute or two of background information, as long as you try to make that engaging as well, because they will be wanting to understand why that day went bad. Yeah, you typically see that in news stories that are, you know, it was a gorgeous day outside. People are barbecuing, but one of them was going to die. <laughs> <laughs> it's It sounds super goofy when we do it that way. But I mean, there's a reason why, again, news stories use that a lot of the times. There's a reason why, you know, narrative podcasts and television shows use that as well, where it builds that tension. It creates that. And it doesn't, like you mentioned, guys, it doesn't have to be exclusively just a, a story, a tale. It can be something as simple as news. And and again, to peel back a little bit of a curtain, you know, we, we do a podcast called Happy Mouth uh, with a client of ours in which we do very similar things where we pose a question, you know, the worker shortage, how is this going to work out? And then we, we dive into the topics a little bit more, but by setting that up in the intro, okay, well, we know what we're going to be talking about. We know what the hurdle that we need to cross is. Is this going to provide any answers? And sometimes it does. Sometimes it doesn't. Doesn't always have to have a great resolution in the end either, just like any story, I suppose. Uh, but this is a way for you to go ahead and, and think about your podcast as well in order to draw those users in initially. Besides asking a question and besides introducing a mystery or journey, can you actually start off with background information? I think there's a way to do it. And I think you can start off with background information as long as you hint that you're going to be going in a specific direction. I'm thinking of the way that Aaron Mankey and his team decide to structure lore, where the opening story, the teaser story that they use, is actually just an example of the theme he's going to be delving into later on. So, for example, I remember there was one episode about like some kind of like sea monster off of like Maine or whatever. And it was actually going to go into the history of the idea of like the Kraken and sea monsters and sea serpents. That was actually what the episode was about. But it opens up with two guys sitting in a boat in 1990 and they think they see a sea monster. And once he describes the encounter, he says something along the lines of like, we never really know, you know, what's in those waters or like the ocean's so deep. We have, we've only discovered a little bit of it. What else is lurking out there? That little story uses as a teaser. I don't know if it's necessarily background, but it's sort of like just an example of introducing a theme. Then it leads into the later story. So I guess like ultimately, whatever you start with, you want to hint at or give a promise of the direction you're going in for the audience. Lore is one of my favorite podcasts. That's one of the few podcasts I listen to outside of work. And I really do enjoy that. I think another example would be what if you're doing like a the story as an update or a follow up from a previous reporting. I think we kind of do that sometimes on here, Matt, where in a previous episode we talked about Facebook, but now here's an update. So that could be an example of starting right with the background information rather than setting up a um a journey or a question or anything like that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we, we did it earlier in this episode with the Facebook thing. You know, if you recall a previous episode, Facebook's launching podcasts. It gives that background. So we've got the initial stuff out of the way. Either you know what we're talking about, or if you don't, Facebook's launching podcasts. Cool. Now you know, you got the, the quick history of it. Let's dive into what's going right or what's going wrong in this case 
that's where our tension's going to be in terms of that specific story. So yeah, absolutely. And and Izzy, you know, you mentioned it with the lore podcast. Sometimes the facts themselves are the scary part. The, you know, we only know what 10% of the ocean is. Well, that's terrifying when you're talking about a sea monster. Exactly. I was thinking about your idea, John, of like what things you can start with. If you're not going to start with a promise, then you might want to start with a problem. And that is what I'm kind of thinking about right now. So say, for example, you want to talk about work culture in a remote workspace. Just a hot topic this past year. Everybody's sort of been talking about it. To get a little more like specific on it, you could say, you know, how do you balance a 28-year-old colleague with a newborn and like an older employee that has to keep leaving for health problems? They have completely different schedules. Like you can sort of give a specific problem. And ultimately, that problem is just exemplifying a larger problem, which is how do we manage people's time and people's relationships when we're not physically there with them? So I think that if you're doing a podcast on science, uh, specific topics, you know, or nutrition, you can pose a problem. Like most people think this, but that's actually inaccurate. We're going to get into why. Because again, in a problem, there's also tension because the problem's not solved yet. That's such a great point, Izzy. What about like to introduce a story? Can you get personal? I truly think personal is better. I think we've seen it in our podcast we work on. The episodes that do the best are the episodes where people are more personal. Now, you still need to like respect your own boundaries. If you don't want to share something, don't share it. But even something personal, like talking about my grandfather, like that's not a boundary that I feel can't be crossed. It's not deeply personal in a way that I would feel is inappropriate, but it's still personal to me and it's a personal experience. And I think that people connect to that more. I think a lot of people think that if you're being personal, you're not being professional, but the quality of your work is what where your professionalism will lie. Being personal adds to the quality of your work. So it can make your work more professional. I think it's important to say that while getting personal is absolutely a thing to do, you should have a unique insight. You know, in the case of of the Happy Mouth podcast, you know, we've got a restaurateur and a chef. They know the industry, so they're able to apply their personal knowledge on it. And I think the the great thing about podcasts, which is different than maybe your standard sitcoms or or television shows, is that typically, at least in my experience, you're listening to a podcast for that specific person. I'm listening for that host. I want to know what that host has to say about this or their insight about this or or their experiences. That's where the intimacy of a storytelling podcast, I think, is is so great. But you have to, as as you said, Izzy, or as you, you alluded to, you have to be able to have a unique perspective and you have to be careful about uh, your boundaries and as you share things where you want to go, because it is it is going to be out there. You could potentially have a lot of people listening. Great points, Matt. People might discover your podcast because they're looking for the topic, but they will stay because of you. So if you're getting a lot of people like listening to an episode or two, and then that's it, it might sound radical, but try sharing a personal story that relates to your topic. Try sharing a a challenge or your perspective. Don't be afraid to say what you're thinking. People will stay because of you, because you're not the only business podcast out there. You're not the only nutrition podcast out there. You're not the only, there's a lot of writing podcasts out there. I think books was like the largest category under arts and history or something. And book podcasts for the Apple podcast tags, it was like the largest category. There's so many out there. 
but there's still some that are extremely successful. Why? Because, well, one, their formatting works, but two, the host, you know, the host is the anchor of the show. Yeah, absolutely. Again, it's all about that intimacy in podcasting. I think that's something that I don't think we could harp on enough, to be honest with you. It's anyone can recall facts. Anyone can tell a basic story. Uh, at a certain point, you're just making an audio book. If you're just reading a book out loud, what draws people in is your voice, your perspective, your insights, how you do things. I mean, there, there's certainly there's some historical podcasts out there. Behind the Bastards is one I've, I've just listened to recently in which they're telling the facts that anyone else can get off of Wikipedia, to be honest with you. There's nothing super crazy that they're giving you there, but they're joking around. They're having a good time. They're sharing their interests, their personal experiences with different things that draws you further in. It becomes a conversation that we're all having over the dinner table rather than me just listening to someone read it was the best of times. It was the worst of times. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you don't want to just be transcribing Google. Yes, exactly. So, you know, for those people out there, remember that you are the host. Remember that you have to be engaging. Uh, and some of that comes with your own personal storytelling. It's not going to be for everyone. And that's okay. And you don't always have to do it. But it is a super important part. And for my opinion, it is one of the easiest switches to flick to create compelling information within a podcast. And even the way that you synthesize information on the podcast, to an extent that is personal, even if it's nothing about you, the way that you choose to put stories together, maybe you're discussing a, one article and it reminds you of a completely different article you read three years ago. The way that you build connections and synthesize information from multiple sources and put it all together, that is unique to you because obviously, as we know, like every human thinks is like completely different. So it's interesting to see people's thought patterns and associations. And you guys bring up things I would never think about. And I love hearing your perspective because I would have never thought of it. That in a way is almost personal as well. So further harp on the personal aspect of things. I think one thing that uh, we need to talk about with podcasting, diversity and inclusion. And, and guys, I know we talked about this before we hit record. Izzy, you had a statistic that like 87% of screenwriters are, are white males. I think that's something that is so important to highlight because it's those perspectives. You want to provide other perspectives. In, in the case of, you know, we're just coming out of Pride Month, LGBTQ plus podcasts. You know, as a host, you get a chance to maybe share again your insight, your personal experiences, your plights, your joys with that type of stuff that makes it super compelling. If you're just writing about the standard stuff, you don't stand out from the crowd. So it's important to include that stuff, to be diverse and to maybe look outside of your own sphere of influence in order to do those things. And a quick anecdote is that uh, I was listening to the Harmontown podcast, going through all those episodes and actually Dan Harmon, who is the writer of community and Rick and Morty mentioned exactly this, where it's, you know, how, how do we become more diverse? I'm, I'm a white guy that does nothing but speak to white guys. How am I going to provide a woman's perspective or provide a gay person's perspective or a trans person's perspective or a colored person's perspective? I've never lived that life. And if my writer's room is nothing but straight white men, it's going to be impossible for us to do that authentically. And it's going to, it's not going to feel that way. So diversity inclusion, I know is a hot button topic, but it is something to absolutely consider in storytelling for that exact reason. 
it improves stories. I think sometimes when people are talking about diversity, they feel like they're doing it to make themselves feel better or they're just checking some box. But I truly honestly believe the more diverse your writer's room is, the better the story is. Because if everybody in that room has a similar background, your story's going to have major blind spots. It's going to be so out of touch. And that goes for anything. Like even if it's a whole room of women, all women, that still has blind spots as much as a whole room of men. The whole point of diversity is not to, you know, oh, we brought in one person, you know, we brought in one woman or one person of color or whatever. It's like having a, a myriad of all these different cultures. We did an episode a couple of weeks ago on one of our podcasts about diversity in the workplace. And there have been tons of studies about how companies that have a more diverse workforce perform better because you don't have those blind spots. And I'm not talking about diversity of thought because that's a horrible thing. Diversity of thought is just a way of saying, oh, well, we're all white, but like he's wealthy and I came from a poor background. Therefore, it's diverse. It's like, no, it, you have to go beyond that. <laughs> you have to go beyond diversity of thought. You have to have real diversity. And if you're in a position of authority, hire the best people for the job, regardless of their you know, background. Hire the best people for the job. And I promise you, you'll have a great writer's room. So diversity in podcasts, we know from the Nielsen ratings that podcasting is actually more diverse than the U.S. population. And the one thing that when people search for podcasts, chances are they'll find someone who sounds like them, shares their worldview, or is curious about the same topics. So it really creates a space for connection and inclusion. We hear it all the time, you know, from especially people of color, that once they find someone that sounds like them, has the same experiences as them, that is that's something special to them. And I think that's, again, something worthy of highlighting that by having that diversity, by, by being open to those things, you get to attract an audience that might not typically listen to your, your, your podcast. And you might get a chance to expand things just beyond the small niche that you currently have. In addition to just being morally the right thing to do, it's also just good business as well. So without belaboring the point on this, that uh, diversity and inclusion is certainly something that you should be considering if you are writing a story in order to make sure that you're getting your facts right, in order to make sure that you're getting perspectives right, and in order to, to increase or include other perspectives that you might not normally and just make it more appealing to a wider audience. Yeah, it makes your story more authentic and people will connect with that authenticity. Sometimes I'm pulled out of a story if like a character or somebody says something that is just so not <laughs> reality. I don't know how to say that, but like, I'm like, what woman would say that? You know what I'm saying? I'm just saying from the female <laughs> perspective, I'm like, no woman I've ever met has said that. <laughs> yeah, That's the thing too, is like people can tell when you are sort of like, I don't want to say faking diversity, but like you're doing it because it's trending as opposed to having like authentic efforts. People who you're representing or trying to represent will be able to see through it. So it's really important to make the effort to do it the right way. Absolutely. All right, folks. Well, I think we've given people a pretty good foundation of things they should be doing when writing a story, when doing storytelling as a whole, and whether that be in podcasting whether that be in written form, whether that be in, in a visual medium, no matter what, these are, are, I think, some touchstones that you have to think about 
when doing these uh, these types of stories. And you too could also be in Tribeca uh, if you follow our advice. Izzy, I, I want to thank you very much for coming on again. All your episodes are fantastic. Again, previous episodes will be in the show notes if you haven't already listened. But again, thank you so much, Izzy, for for coming on and talking to us about storytelling and the impact and the importance of good storytelling. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Thanks, Izzy. Now we have a complete section on storytelling, right? So now we have the importance of storytelling, but now people can go back and listen to your previous episodes on how to structure your story and Mm -hmm. ways to go about incorporating that into your podcast. And I think it's a great reference section for people to visit for direction. Absolutely. And I'm sure we're going to have you on again as we dive more into storytelling and and the importance of it. And as we get into some specific types of stories uh, that can be written both, again, fiction and nonfiction. So again, if all of this was over top of your head, I totally understand. If you went, look, I've got, I think I've got a good story. I need someone to polish it up or I've got a good idea, but I need someone to go ahead and, and actually write it out and make it sound good. Queue it up is here for you. You can go to qd-up.com or mypodcastagency.com. Click on any of the uh, services pages and you'll have a contact form in there in which you can tell us about your project and what you are wanting to do. And uh, we'll do our thing to make it sound great, to make it compelling, to ensure that you too are are considered as one of the top storytelling podcasts out there. Uh, Not to sell ourselves short at all, but Again, a fantastic episode. A quick recap. We talked about Facebook podcasts. We talked about Amazon buying the Smartlist podcast for $80 million. The Pulitzer and Tribeca festivals uh, highlighting podcasts and then some wonderful information about the importance of storytelling in podcasting. Guys, this was a fantastic episode. Thank you for joining us and we will see you next time. That's all for today's podcast news, tips, and tricks. You can find us at mypodcastagency.com or on Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn, and Facebook at QDUP Audio. Make sure to share us with your podcast friends and follow us on your favorite podcasting app. Thanks for podcasting with us, and we'll talk to you next Wednesday.